Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Shalom for another record. This is Brother Cedric, Tribal Judah, and welcome to Thursday Night's Fellowship Line. The time now is 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 o'clock p.m. Central. Um, uh, Brother Eric, are you online? Okay, I guess not. Um, is there anyone online? Yeah, I guess I'll just wait till everyone comes in. So we are in our third week of break. Um, I think we come back on the 25th, according to the calendar. So um, hopefully everyone is um, uh, enjoying their time off and taking t- taking care of the things that need to be taken care of. Um, I don't really have any, um, like, major topics Um that I would like to discuss necessarily. Um, however, I was um, something popped up on my uh, YouTube news feed um, that talked about. Well, actually, no, there was um, a situation that happened the other day. <clears throat> the other day, uh, where a guy, um, a Hispanic guy, I'm sorry. He was detained by IC, uh, by Immigration Customs Enforcement. Now, I'm trying to find the article because it, it's very relevant to, uh, well, it, it has its own purpose, so to speak, but I just thought it would be interesting um, for discussion. Oh, Chris Brown, he can't catch a break at all. Um Hold on, you guys. I'm trying to find it. Okay. Darn, I cannot find it. Just that quick. Oh, well, I can't can't explain it because I... Oh man, just that quick. Oh well. Well, anyway, um I uh was looking at my news feed um on YouTube so to speak or from YouTube on my news feed and um Yvette Carnell, many may know her, many may not. She does the Breaking Brown family. And there was a whole, um, there was a a whole, um, I guess you can say, conversation about Pan-Africanism. And um, she stated that Pan-Africanism 
which is the idea that blacks around the world should, I guess you can say, come together with African countries to, you know, overthrow the system of oppression um, to some regard. Um, that's not like the whole of um, uh, what you call, um, yeah, that's not the whole of what you would call it, uh, what's it called? Pan-Africanism, however, it is, um, it's imperative that we understand the whole conversation or we understand certain aspects of Pan-Africanism to see how it would affect us in, in, in a certain way or, um, better yet speaking, into how pan-Africanism would help us globally as a people. And, um, of course, there were dissenters who felt like there were pan-Africanism is dead and that the idea is very far-fetched. Is anybody online who disagree or agree with the fact that pan-Africanism being effective or not effective? Anybody there? Hold on. Maybe I'm on. Let me see something here. I'll find out who's on. Hold on. Okay. Where is it? Oh, that's only just one person. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's just me, myself, and I. Well, I'll stay on for another, uh, I guess you could say, uh, five minutes, maybe. Well, for the most part, let me just say this. Why I believe pan-Africanism is not uh, effective in our current climate. Um, Well, let me say current climate. I mean, like, political climate. I don't believe pan-Africanism is effective in this political climate considering the fact that when you look at African countries, there are immigrants that come over here um, who, you know, for the benefit of um, of obtaining, obtaining a uh, American freedom, or what they think is American freedom, they come over here to obtain, you know, certain opportunities that they weren't able to obtain in their native country. So 
when you have Native Africans that are leaving, you know, their, you know, residential countries to pursue opportunities over here, then you would have to think, you'd have to ask yourself, what exactly are blacks in, in, blacks in America fighting for? Because of the people that they want to try to help is seeking opportunities from the very people that are oppressing black people in America, then we're doing ourselves a disservice because we're trying to help one people who are trying to help another people who are oppressing, who are, quote, unquote, oppressing us. So it really defeats the purpose, you know, um, and it really is robbing Peter to pay Paul, <laughs> you know. You think that your hell is, you know, you want to try to unify with someone based off of skin color or because we think that Africa is going to be this open arms country and it's just not, it's not like that. I mean, I've never been to Africa, but I can understand. I can, I guess you can say I can understand, you know, the climate enough to say that everything regarding Africa is no different than Asia and uh, uh, South and Central America and Australia and Europe. It's all business. And that's nothing wrong. It's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And business does include culture, history, identity, and pedigree. And if you operate in that way, I'm pretty sure you can get more done. But when you're operating as an individual trying to, you know, maneuver yourself with people who are not aligned with you, uh, who are not aligned with you in terms of culture, history, identity, and pedigree, then you have to ask yourself, what are you fighting for? Because you're one small person trying to ally with these group of people, and you think that you and those people are, you know, who you feel are being oppressed. And yes, they may be oppressed by, uh, quote unquote, America. But what they what is also happening is that they also have a government structure to, you know, give them some type of remedy too. We don't. And that's the only difference. And let's just say we help these Africans or we help African countries to achieve this, quote, unquote, freedom from white supremacy. (laughs) The question then becomes, where would African Americans be able to go to after all of this is done? Because we still have to come back to what a lot of people don't, you know, we still have to come to the white parents unless you assimilate into, if you go, unless you go back to, uh, uh, some of the African countries and assimilate into that society, but then you still have another issue of uh, tribes and different ethnic groups because so many different ethnic groups and tribes are uh, mixed up in these African countries. Outside of the fact that Africa is a whole continent mixed with all kinds of people, so then how then do you how then do you deal with the, the divide between the tribes that are within the countries that are within a continent. How do you deal with that? 
And that's the reality that we as people don't want to, we don't want to deal with that because most black people only see, or most people of color here in the United States who are so-called North American Negroes, we only see things uh, based on color concept. It's either black or white. Not understanding that it's black or white, and then you have uh, nationality and identity politics and all these other different things. And even when it comes down to black and white, let's say you do give, you know, help to these black people, they're still asking you, well, what do you have to bring to the table outside of you toting around a gun? Because they can get guns from anywhere. What you going to do, bring them an apple? They can probably grow. They got China to give them crops and America to give them, you know, crops and things like that. And that's some of the things that we don't understand as a people. Um, we haven't necessarily figured out that we're trying to run away from an issue that's right in our own backyard to try to fix something in someone else's yard while our house is crumbling or while we're homeless. Could you imagine a homeless person coming to tell somebody how to run their home? I mean, the sense that makes, it doesn't make any sense, especially if you're homeless. Because the first thing a person who has a home would say in their minds, well, if you can tell me how to run my home, you should be in the home already. You know, so I guess that's where I'm at with it. Hopefully, if anyone's here, if anyone's on the line, anyone who objects to that uh, sentiment, you're more than welcome to do so. Let's see if we have anybody that'll pop up. Most usually they do pop up. Okay, guess that's just still me. Well. For the most part, I'll say that Pan-Africanism is pretty much, you know, not necessarily an answer to our um, answer to our problems per se. Um, well, they're not the answer to to society's problem. It's not the answer to society's problem, and it's not the answer to uh, problems for Black people. Because Africa don't have a problem with being black, and they don't have a problem with being oppressed by uh, white people. Their whole issue is their government is hand their government is run by corrupt politicians who allow white people to enslave or mistreat these people. So it's not a black issue or a black or white issue. That's never the case. The whole issue with a lot of the quote-unquote African countries is just plain old, you guessed it, tyrants, despotism, and uh, corrupt politicians who will use these, these you know, pseudo-democratic uh, pseudo governments for their own political gain. And the United States has allowed these 
you know, giving these thieves a platform to operate on. But when you tell black Americans this, they will assume for the they will assume for the most part that, you know, looking at Africa today, they're thinking that, oh, well the white man is antagonizing us and they're they're antagonizing everybody in Africa. And it's like that's not necessarily the case. And that's the issue that pan Africanism kind of creates is an illusion. Because when you think about the idea that you have this, you know, these group of white people attacking just every black person in the world, not understanding the reasons behind it, you get lost. So I say it again the whole construct or the whole concept of pan Africanism really falls flat on its, it really falls flat to the ground because when you look at this whole, well, blacks are oppressing us and then blacks are oppressing, you know, blacks in uh, African countries, not considering that a lot of these African countries have black leaders that sell out their native indigenous people to white colonizers for some money. And even if they don't give them money, they sell out for something. So it's not an issue of black and white, especially in African countries, because predominantly all the countries in Africa are ran by black leaders and still have ran by black leaders who may be, you know, uh, funded by foreign nations, but America is necessary. But America is form, uh, funded by a foreign nation, so to speak, because not everybody in America is Jewish. You know, so there's this idea that Pan-Africanism is alive and it's thriving, and it's not, um, and it's not beneficial to us because our fight has never been about us being black. We made it about us being black, and it's not. When I stepped outside of me being me being black and knowing I'm not black-skinned, when I stepped outside of being black, I'm looking like, well, dang, outside of being black, I could see all the... Africans come to this country and they're, you know, get opportunities, open up stores, send their money back home. You know, they'll, some of them may look down on us. Some of them will rob us. I have been jilted by a Nigerian before, and that's no shade to anybody, but I'm just saying. We, we're trying to fix an issue that is not really relegated to Aboriginals everywhere, and if it is, it can be simply fixed like this. Look at what the South Africans are doing in South Africa. They are kicking these white folks behind out of their country and taking back their land. And white folks are saying, "Well, now we about to arm ourselves." <laughs> well, at least these quote unquote black. South Africans are saying, y'all white folks got to go, and we'll kill you if you stay. So that's the issue for that. Those Africans, they know what, they know how, I think the Africans know how far to really take it, but when you talk about oppression, 
most of that is done by the black politicians that reside over the black people. Is there anybody in, on this land that agree or disagree? I just kind of want a discussion about it, if anyone's here. Oh, Minnesota, are you there? Brother, is that Brother DeShane? Shalom, brother. Brother Shane. Oh, Shalom, brother. How long have you been here? Uh, five minutes, brother. I had just got off work not so long ago. It was a late day. Oh, good. You ain't been on here long enough to hear me yap, which was about at least 20 minutes. So <laughs> I, heard, I heard a little bit. I was hearing a little bit about uh, Pan-Africanism. That's what I heard. Yes, sir. I was um, – okay, so here's the thing. Um, I kind of just delve into a topic because I didn't really have one. Um, however, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Yvette Carnell, um and the Breaking Brown family. I'm subscribed to her. I'll watch her every now and then. Like, I don't watch all her topics. Most of the topics that I do watch, they 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 are valuable because they speak to us as American blacks, not blacks in general, blacks in, in the face of the earth. And um, she was speaking about Pan-Africanism and saying that it was dead. And I saw, like, there was a heated debate back and forth in the comments section between uh, American blacks. And some, uh, quote-unquote, African blacks, I'm going to say it that way, and for the most part, the African blacks agreed that Pan-Africanism is dead, and they would only have to agree. And the reason why it is is because even when Pan-Africanism had reached its height, it then became the uh, was it the African Union. <laughs> the African countries ended up developing their own union for being Pan-Africanists. And the American blacks were relegated back to this sad story of African-Americans are only slaves and still are under white supremacy. That's basically what ended up happening with that. So I was asking if anyone was on here, and I I didn't know that you had came because I'm just talking, talking, talking. I had asked if anybody had uh, thought to, you know, contrary-wise or agreed, and if so, then why? Um, And I was wondering what your thoughts were on the whole um, situation, brother. Hello, brother, are you there? Maybe I'm on mute. Oh, I'm not on mute. Brother DeShane, are you there, brother? DeShane, I think something wrong with your phone, bro. Because if I say, if you're talking, I can't hear nothing. Can you hear me, brother? 
I can hear you now. <clears throat> okay, I don't know what was wrong with my phone. Um, I'm not. I was saying, brother, I was not familiar with the person you mentioned, but um, the Pan Africanism thing, um, the movement and stuff like that. I I see brothers in the um conscious community talk mm-hmm. about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that is for I don't I don't. That's for people like that's just people trying to connect with Africa again, I guess, because, you know, that's what we feel like is our home. A lot of, a lot mm-hmm. of black, quote-unquote, black people feel that way. And Pan-African is just, I guess, a whole uh, Africa, you know, the motherland, everybody being from Africa. We need to get back to Africa. Um, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily... Uh, I don't really know too much about uh, what they're doing with it, uh, with it today and where they're going with it as far as in Africa and stuff, but I don't know, brother. I, I don't really – I don't know too much, brother. How are you? I'll, I was saying – well, let me – I'll say it in this way, because generally speaking, uh, you know, Pan-Africanism is the concept of uh, blacks uniting with – blacks around the world – uh, uniting with Africa to create a united front against uh, quote-unquote white global oppression, so to speak, and share uh, African resources. Mm-hmm. So that's the concept. <clears throat> but I say that uh, Negro Americans are in trouble with that. And the reason why I say they are in trouble with it because when you think about what we're trying to do with Pan-Africanism, it, i say it this way. If I'm trying to help Africa and African uh, immigrants are coming over here to seek the same opportunities that I may be trying to get over here, but I'm trying to help them in Africa, then it defeats the purpose because I'm trying to help you help yourself, but you're helping the people that's supposed to be oppressing me. Does that make sense? Absolutely, brother. Uh, if, um, like, just think about it. If I'm helping someone in, if I'm helping someone in. Um, uh, Sierra Leone talking about we need to unite against white oppression, but they're fighting to get a green card or a passport to come over here to open up a store and things like that, then it it almost kind of defeats the purpose of trying to help Africa because they're trying to help America. You understand what I'm saying? And they they want to become American, so is where we fall short is we're extending our hands to people that don't necessarily need the help. They may want it, but not everybody may necessarily need the help. And also, you have to consider when you're talking about shared resources. What do black Americans own 
as a nation or a body of people that we can use as collateral to exchange with people who already have an organized government. Nothing. Nothing, right. It's pointless. Here's the thing, because I think, okay, now back in the – because the Pan-Africanist movement started, like, in the early 1800s. It kicked – no, the early – I want to say the early 1800s. It jump-started in the the early 1900s, and then there were the conferences that throughout the 1900s. And the last one just so happened to be in, like, 1945, I think, if I can remember. And right around that time, Africa was like, okay, well, we're going to form the African Union, the African Union. We don't need to do, the, we don't need to do a Pan-Africanism uh, conference or a Pan-African movement because all our, our issues are within Africa, so to speak. And this don't have anything to do with America, which is a separate continent or country or continent from Africa. So then why don't we just fix, why don't we in Africa just fix our own issues? And they just basically kick up American blacks to the curb. And we steady trying to get over there. Now, it's totally different if you want to pursue going into finding out your native tribe. But then even within that, there are differences. Because now you're still relegated to tribalism. I have this black tribe against this black tribe. I have this black tribe against this ethnic group. And you then move from the same problem that you faced in America, and then you go and deal with it and people who look just like you. So then the question then becomes, does pan-Africanism serve a purpose? And does it serve its purpose? It, It really doesn't. It really just comes down to business. What can I get from you? What can what can I give Africa that they can't already get themselves? And what can I give to them that I need to be trying to give to us first? And brother, you'd have to see the conversation because a lot of black people were upset when people were saying that. No African pan Africanism is alive and it's thriving. Maybe because you live over there. But that says more about you in the concept of pan Africanism. Because if you were a pan Africanist talking that smack from Africa, what purpose does that serve? That's just like saying Okay, I'm an African and I want to fix my own problems. You're all you're the American black already over in the continent of Africa. Technically, you're considered an African because you already got citizenship over there. So you've eliminated the issue for your individual self. You move to the continent that you quote unquote claim to be oppressed. It defeats your whole concept. So. When I looked at it, because when I learned about it in college, so to speak, it was one of those things I was just kind of like, well, it doesn't really make sense because you even if you remove the threat of white supremacy, you still have black enemies. We're still going to have warring tribes or warring 
you know, people. So, again, our issue is not about us being black. It is never about us being black. But it also, but it has always been about us being a body of people over here and then learning how to com, uh, contract with other people outside of us. That's what that's about. And it's so, it's, and it's crazy. It's so evident uh, that that's always what it's been about because you see black people, quote unquote, black people around the world that are not in America that may be oppressed, but they have a body politic that could protect them and that they can go back to to get some type of remedy from. We don't even, we have to go to the quote-unquote white people to get protection from. So it's something wrong with the logic. But guess who looks crazy in all of this madness? And only take a rocket scientist to figure out who. It's us. We the one that look crazy. Because we're trying to help everybody but the people right next to us. Yeah, man. We, I think we've always been like that, too. That's just what kind of people we are. But we just got it wrong, you know. Like, we not we ain't helping ourselves first. And right. We, we think that if we go somewhere else or this thing that happened or, you know what I mean, that stuff is just going to change. But we're not looking in the mirror. We ain't got our priorities straight as, as people. As a, as a nation, you know what I mean? But, I mean, that's where I'm getting out of it. And, um, yeah. Yeah, we not, we're not, we're too much, we're trying, man, Africa, I don't know, it's going to be, that's a lot trying to convince somebody or even just, uh, I don't know, brother. No, brother. We, we have to understand where, who we are and what right. Africa really is and, you know what I mean, and where we at right now in America, we have to understand these things. And how we don't need anything and any but one but ourselves here, and right. all the resources we have here, and um, we can have our own uh, pan, whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean? Whatever you want to do, but you know, um, that's what I see. I would have to read it though, brother. What you're talking about? Because I really don't really know too much. So, like I'm saying, I, I would have to read it. I, I guess. Well, I guess because I was trying to keep it general. I'm and kind of like I don't know, common sense wise. I was speaking in a general concept of uh, give and get. If I give you something, you have to give me something back because that's always been the relation of the world in antiquity and now, giving and getting. And if you can't give, how are you going to give something you don't have? You want to give these people in a faraway continent help. But how are you going to give somebody in a faraway country help that you can't even give, you know, that you can't even give to your own people? Furthermore, you're looking to secure a people who are being bought out and sold by China and other European countries, which makes it that much less, which makes Pan-Africanism that much less effective. Because if they can't even help themselves over in Africa, what good are they to us? <laughs> Brother, what, I mean, that's um, logical. Uh, what's the, what Africa, what country, what, uh, re, what is, who's doing this Pan-Africanism? Let me, what's, let me say, what's this movement? Pan, say that one more time, brother. Who's, um, 
pushing this in Africa? Who's who are the people? Oh no, 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 no. I wasn't saying anybody in Africa was pushing it. I was speaking about Black America. That's a concept that came out of Black America. This Pan Africanism idea. African countries never pushed the concept of Pan Africanism. That's why it's so flawed because we're trying to push a concept that's, that that <laughs> okay. falls on its back when you consider the fact that the very people that you're trying to help is trying to help other people. They're trying to help the same people that's against us. Mm-hmm. And it's backwards. The whole concept is backwards. How can I help someone who's trying to help the same people that you claim is against us? Not you in general, but quote-unquote Pan-African blacks. The concept of Pan-Africanism did not come from Africa. It came from the Garveyism or some of the Garveyites or post-Garveyites and stuff like that. That's where that came from. They tried to take the idea to Africa, but what Africans did was they took the concept and form the African Union because they figure, why do we need American blacks to help our country when they can't even help themselves in their, in the country that they come from? Mm-hmm. And that is the that's the whole discussion. I I didn't want to. I hope I forgive me if I made it seem like it was Africans that was pushing the concept, but no, it's not an African ideal. It's an American black ideal that had seemed to have been pushed on black people in Africa. I'm sorry. And it's far-fetched. It's like we're hoping and we're reaching for something that's not there. And that's why we can't ever really get, uh, we can't get down to the root of our issue as a people. They still keep saying, I've seen people say in the conversation, over here in America, not in Africa, say, well, you keep forgetting that they experience white supremacy too. No, it's not white supremacy for them. Their, their black presidents and their black viceroys and their black kings are sellouts. They sell out for their white money, and they allow those white colonizers to come in and dictate how things should be run. And guess who still carry out those uh, laws? that those white uh, investors uh, make. The black presidents, the black vice boys, the African leaders carry it out on their own people. So it's not ever been an issue for Africa in terms of white supremacy. It's not. And that's what makes black people look like we look lost, we look confused, and we look like hypocrites because we're trying to help people that really don't need the help. (laughs) And the concept is is really flawed. It's really flawed. And it's really, you know, that whole concept would, you know, was a good conversation when we were talking about, you know, trying to fight for something. But now that this, you know, continent have established nations and they have established armies and, you know, they're getting aid from foreign governments, or finding ways to, you know, make their country governments work for their national governments work for them. We just sitting on the sideline looking like, okay, 
well, now we're here just by ourselves. And then we get mad when these Africans come over here and look down on us. But I'm thinking to myself, they're not necessarily looking down on you per se. I'm looking at it like this. If I go somewhere and I'm saying, hey, I want the most help I can get as an immigrant, who am I best? Who who is my best bet? A country that may not like me, but they have the resources and necessities that I may need, and I can bargain with them, or an individual black person, or five individual black people who don't own the things that they have in possession, and no government. Who's the biggest? Who's who would I be better off with? And that's not a dig at us as people. That's just the fact of if I'm an immigrant coming in this country, that is where my, my that's where my interest is going to lie. It's about interest. And black people really haven't figured this out. It really is business. But here in tribes, we're learning it, and it's helping us to really break down some of the myths of, these people don't, some of these people don't like us because we're black. Screw them. I don't care. Just don't put your hands on me. But the system as a whole, I don't, I'm not going to say it's not flawed. If there is some flaws, but their laws, there's nothing wrong with their laws, even if it's against your interests. Because usually when you're looking at, someone's, it's just like this. You have your house, brother. You run your house how you're going to run your house. You dare a person to come off the street and tell you what to do in your house, and then they get put in their place. Am I right or am I wrong? You set your rules for your home the way you set your rules for your home. And there, whoever's there, whether it be a guest or a bum off the street, if you can't get if you can't get with the program, either put up or shut up. Or you can simply just buy my home. You understand what I'm saying? Or hell, if you if you that adamant about you know correcting my household, you should have your own house. And that's the situation mm-hmm. that we're in as a people. Brother, like it's crazy because it took me a long <laughs> while to really get to that point. But I'm sorry. Go ahead, brother. No, nah, brother. I just I like how you put that. Like I like how you worded that. Because, brother, I'm telling you, the God honest truth. Come and be. Let me tell you something. Being around brother priest, being around brother priest, has opened me, opened my eyes to a three dimensional universe. Once you step into this type of paradigm where you're constantly seeing things through law, it's kind of like you can't go back because you're forced to deal with the reality. And the reality is sometimes, most of the time, you can't make excuses for why certain things are happening. Some things are happening because it was designed that way. And if it just so happens that, a, a cop is shooting a black person in the street, I'd say it this way. 
I'm not saying that the black person deserve it. What I'm saying is that it's a law that says that they probably can do it or it's some type of uh, uh, loophole in the law that's just so broad that it can be interpreted many ways that will allow a person who's behind the gun to do something to us. Would it be right if the law doesn't say that it's wrong, then, it, you know, you can presume that it's right unless the law basically says you cannot do it. And if the law says that you can't do it or if they say that you can do it or if they don't say that you can't do it, then it opens up the floor for, it opens up room for people to do things that may be looked at as illegal, but it's still legal because they didn't say whether it was illegal or not illegal anyway. But that's the situation that we run into as people here in America. Me being in this nation and me, uh, you know, being in political science classes, I'm just going to say that from now on because I didn't grasp all that I needed to grasp from political science, but I, the things that I know I needed to grasp, I, I grasped. But being in those classes, brother, it just kind of put me in a situation where, like, if we were running our government right now, me, you, Brother Priest, everybody here in this nation were running our government, you've got to have laws. And you have to think about it like this. Don't do in my house what you wouldn't do in yours. And if you don't do it in your house, don't do it in my house. If you can't respect my rules in my house, don't be here. If you don't like the rules in my house, you can go find someplace else to stay. We're, as quote-unquote black parents, even white parents, we're quick to tell our children that. What's the difference between black parents and white parents, black children and white children, a government and a citizen? What's the difference? There is no difference. One is just a very macro, one is a macro version of a household. A household is just a micro version of a government, but they both have the same concepts. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. Respect my house, and if you can't, get out. (laughs) You know, so um, that's kind of where you know, we fall in with the whole concept of Pan-Africanism. I'm not saying that we can't contract with Africans. And that's what a lot of people get, that's what a lot of black people in America feel like that's what's being said. And that's not the same thing. No one's saying that you can't go and live in Africa because you can clearly get a passport and go to Africa. No one's saying that you can't like Africans. You can clearly like Africans. The problem with Pan-Africanism is saying that we, and it puts a strain on Africa because now Africa is responsible for sharing their resources with people just solely on the idea of black. It's kind of like socialism. It's acute. So it's it's actually socialism masquerading uh, as some form of tribalism. You understand what I'm saying? Now, granted that, you know, Africa has a lot of black countries, but these countries have tribes and nations that they share their their resources among. 
And most of these tribes and nations and ethnic groups have a state that they share, and they allow who they want to, you know, share in their resources. Same thing with African Americans. If we had uh, control over a vast amount of resources and things like that, are we solely responsible for sharing our resources with the majority of Aboriginal people across the world because we have the same phenotypes and genotypes? Does that make sense to you, brother? Should you be able to share your home with a person on the street because they have the same nose, lips, eyes, and hair types? Now, I can see if it was your brother, like (laughs) someone here in America, that's different. But if you just go snatch some random African person off the street and say, well, you look just like me, I'm going to give you everything in my home. Like, that doesn't make sense. And guess what? African countries, I'm pretty sure they would teach you the same, they would tell you the same thing because they have a little bit more order than we do. Why? Because they have principles. Whether you, whether it's in a slum version or slum part of Africa, or African countries, let me say it that way, or in the very well-to-do part of countries, they still have principles that fall into commerce. You have to give something to get something. And I'm not just going to give it to you because you're black. If that's the case, they wouldn't have all those various tribes in Africa, and everybody wouldn't be suffering in those African countries if they thought like that. But that's the issue that we deal with here in America. I'm, you know, it's a passionate topic for me because I'm one of those people that, you know, fought, struggled a long time with, you know, growing up in the hood. Like, I don't, man, I've been in almost every hood you can think of in my city. I grew up in it. So it's, you know, coming out of that mentality where, you know, Every black person is the same, and it's like every black person is not the same. Uh, American Negro is not the same as an African black. It's not. They are not. And the thing is, black Africans know that. That is why they are the way that they are when they come over here. They know something we don't. We haven't figured it out yet. Um, But uh, if there's anybody else who dissent or agree I just, you know, I'm just throwing the topic out there because I didn't necessarily have anything to really bring before I came on the line. But it's just something that I, you know, I know we kind of hit it, hit the topic here and there um, throughout uh, fellowship, not specifically on this call, but the many times we've met here, uh, Pan-Africanism had, like, came up here and there, but I just kind of wanted to bring it up today. Um, as a way for us to dialogue. So, does anybody here that has a, an, a you know a difference of opinion or whatever, just state your name or or, or an agreement. State your name, phone on the record, and say why. Geez, still nobody else. Dang, man, I wish I would have brought this up last week because it was many people. Well, it was a lot. There was some. It was a good amount of us on here. We could have had the same discussion, but yeah, brother, I'm glad that you know you. As, even if you don't understand Pan Africanism 
uh, as a whole, because there there are very uh, is very I guess you could say the concepts are various uh, and from various perspectives, um, but the general idea is that you know American blacks want to quote unquote help Africa in exchange for some of their resources, but. Another thing that comes to mind is reparations, too, because like reparations, where are those resources going to go? Because we don't have control over the uh, – we don't have control over the port. They're controlled by the federal government. Unless we're going to be like the mafia type and just go stick them up, you know, play stick-up kid and jack the ships, hijack the uh, cargoes, and then, you know, take them back to our community, which would be more noticeable because – what black person you know gonna be taking cargo to you know to the hood or to you know the middle class neighborhood? <laughs> I mean, we don't have you know a whole lot of people who have cargoes in their yard. So that's a whole nother you know that's a whole nother different thing. If we're getting the if we're helping these people in exchange for resources, where are the resources where are the resources going to go? You know, so you know that's kind of where, um, where I where my thoughts are with the whole concept. And it's crazy because I wish when I was in school and we were talking about it, I wish I understood the whole, the the commercial and business aspect of uh, Pan Africanism enough to say what I'm saying now. Because when I was in school, I had a teacher. He 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 looked at like a full-blooded Native American. I'm pretty sure he was. I'm pretty sure he has lineage, but he to him he is straight up and down Negro. But nonetheless, we're technically the same. But long story short, this guy was up and down black. He'd been to pretty much almost every African country, and. He was hell-bent on uh, through his education of Pan-Africanism. He was trying to get us to see maybe how it could be effective, but even now I'm thinking back on it, I was just like, the concept itself is socialist, and it would never be effective because you can't force somebody to, help you, and you can't force somebody to give you their resources, you know, that's, you know, that's, that speaks to the same conversation we had last week when we were talking about uh, uh, um, uh, American Negroes uh, spending their money in establishments that don't want their money. You can't force somebody to take your money. And you shouldn't force people to try – you shouldn't force people to take your money, and you shouldn't try to force people to sell you anything either. You know, if we got out of this concept of, you know, you got to do this for me and you got to do that for me, because it's almost kind of – it really is a state of – it's really a state of dependency, major dependency, and you give these people the upper hand to mistreat you, and which is why they do, because they know in, in retrospect, if you're so adamant about me taking your money, you really need me. I don't need you. 
but you know that you don't need these people because they don't survive without your money. You know, so that's kind of where I am with Africanism. But I'll open up the line again uh, for you, brother, if you have any topics uh, that you want to share since it's only just two of us and um, it seems like there's nobody else here. Um, do you have anything uh, in general that you want to talk about, brother? Is it on your mind? It could be anything. Yeah, I got a question, brother. Um, you were talking about um, as far as the cops, you know, when how, like getting away with murder and stuff like that, and if it's justified and stuff. And I just have, what about, um, like, thou should not kill? And what if, okay, say there's self-defense and stuff like that, but what if someone is unarmed? Mm-hmm. And this is just, I'm not saying that's particular incident that happened. I'm just throwing stuff out there. Like, what if somebody right. was unarmed and they were killed? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, No, no, I know exactly and what then you someone mean. Get, and then that, and that person you. gets justified. You know what I mean? Like, how does that work? Yeah. I, I'm going to definitely tell you that that's wrong. I'm definitely going to tell you that it's wrong for somebody, regardless that they're black or white, to walk up on a man, and especially if you're the post, if you're supposed to be the law, if you go outside of the law. Now, I'm not saying that you know uh, unreasonable search, uh, unreasonable searches, or uh, um, what they call legal force. I'm not speaking on that. I'm speaking to the very fact that if you're going outside of law to force someone to comply with you, then you are taking the law in your own, taking the law into your own hands. And there have been many times where uh, people have been reprimanded for that and have been thrown in prison. Sometimes that has not been the case, but I guess I can only speak on the time where unarmed black men have been uh, shot by a person who has stepped outside of the law while trying to act in law enforcement and then, you know, apprehend or force someone to comply. That's wrong because you're not giving me the same, you're not giving me the same due process. Now, granted, you know, I know we have the tendency to get frustrated when we're being apprehended or being detained for nothing. But if one person, and I'm not saying that we should because someone else is doing it, but why single me out when you have someone else who you have someone else who can be, let's say, white, who can pull a gun, curse the cop out, and and and, and walk away in handcuffs? Whereas in if I use a blade roll, I can get shot. So no, brother, you are right. That is wrong. But what I am saying also is if there was in the law that says that a person can shoot you, or if there was a law that says that you have the right to use legal force and the cop is saying, okay, I shot him because he was a threat to me, he, you know, he bowed up at me, he boxed me, so on and so forth, yeah, then that would be probable cause. That would be probable cause and legal force. But now if you just some old random, uh, high, you know, uh, adrenaline, you know, 
rush the cop who just acting on uh, uh, who's uh, reactive and not, you know, responding necessarily to the situation, then, yeah, you are definitely out, you're, you're stepping out of bounds. Right. You know? Okay. But you know what's so interesting about the whole thing, brother? And I guess me, like you, I'm still struggling to kind of learn how that works because even even with that, I'm just like, well, when can a cop, with it, like, when does it become, like, you know, in the quote-unquote black and white spectrum of uh, law enforcement, let me say it that way, when does it become uh, uh, not legal for, or when does it become legal for them to just pull out a gun and then just shoot me because I raised my hand? Or because I didn't turn around fast enough. Or it's because I raised my hand and then they told me to turn around slowly and then they tell me to give me the ID. So then I reached in my pockets to reach for the ID. But how else was I supposed to get the ID if my hand's in the air? (laughs) Just let them say it like. No one is above the law. You know, like, regardless if you have a badge or not. And right. You can carry around a pistol. Say you just a regular guy on the street. And you got a pistol, and you know what I mean. You some you getting attacked or anything. Right. Like you kill somebody. Right? Like you gotta. I don't know, brother. It's just like I'm trying to relate the two because cops. It you can't. If you pull out a gun, listen, they got guns, and it's, mm-hmm. they, it's legally to carry them. But right. if you pull it out to shoot and kill somebody, that's automatically thou shalt not kill. Like, you murder someone. And and, and they're not. Some some of them are not. In a, it's a, a, a lot of them that don't really serve the time they should for taking lives. Right. But they have an excuse for it. But there is no excuse when someone is unarmed mm-hmm. and cannot... You know what I mean? That's when it draws a line. You, if you can't even, if you have a pistol and the other person doesn't, you already on top. You, unless that person attacks you or something, then I see. But if he's not even, even trying to fight you, he's trying to get away. He's saying, "Sorry, little," and that's yeah. So I see. I'm, I, I'm, I'm one on one with you with that brother, and that's and crazy to me. And, here's, no, uh, you know what? Let me. Here's something I just kind of thought about because I had a conversation like this with one of the um, brothers before. So I guess you can say to kind of answer your question as to, you know, what makes them different? If What makes the cop different from the man on the street if they both carry a gun but the cop takes his gun out to shoot me? Here is exactly. the difference. Yeah. Okay, so now here is the difference, brother, and I guess this is like the ugly hard truth, and this is why understanding government is very important. And I'm not saying that this is something that we should do, but I'm just saying here is the deal. So when you have someone who is part of a hierarchy um, in terms of public office, they have a little bit more, I guess you can say, they have a little bit more, a little bit more status than the average Joe, 
Um, and and what kind of gives them status is the fact that they're. I guess you can kind of look at them as government property. They're government property that have special privileges. It's almost kind of like knighthood. You know, would you equate a peasant with a knight? You know, no. You, like no, like you I understand. I, I get what you're saying. Yep. You understand what I'm saying? Like their their mm-hmm. social classes, they're they're not the same because one enforces the law. If the average person was a law enforcer, there will be no need for law enforcement. The law enforcers are there to protect a preserved class of people. So they have a certain, they have a little bit more status than just the average person. So even if they tote around a gun. They their force can be justified by law because number one they work for a public administration. Number two, their rights are protected by the federal government. Our rights are protected by the federal government, but our status is not protected, so to speak. Could two? I have a question, brother. Could two um, different entities, two different governments, like? How we are in, in tribes? Mm-hmm. Could we enforce our own police? Could we be yeah, given that? Uh, yes. You know, could we be given that that uh, title or you know what I mean? That, to most definitely, you can have your own courts. You can have your own. You can have our own law enforcement. You can have our own courts. We can have our own pro. We can have our own due process. Um, we can have our own. We can have our own anything. It's about us understanding how these things function because no one wants just anybody just, just you know, walking around with the name cock on their chest and then they're, you know, they haven't been, they haven't, they haven't gone through a system of peerage. And what I mean peerage is a hierarchy of public administration. I'm just not going to give just anybody the right of enforcing the law because these people may not necessarily know how to ha- know how to enforce it. Now, granted, I, this goes back to the discussion of law enforcement. When you got people, I guess with this government here, they are so caught up on trying to protect and preserve this higher class and the status of the state, that they'll hire anybody to go out on the street and enforce the law. And what I'm saying is you have a lot of cops or you have a lot of, you have all different kind of walks of life going under the um, law enforcement system, perpetrating as a law enforcement just to carry out their own selfish agenda. And whether you be a white nationalist whether you be a Muslim, you know, uh, uh, Muslim phobic, or um, uh, maybe you hate black people or something like that. Maybe you hate white people. <laughs> maybe you're a white person who hate white person, and you became a cop because you just want to hurt white people. Law enforcement is kind of like they're using the system to do that, and that's the problem with the that's the problem with the system that has become so corporate that it is money over principles. So see you don't have to you don't have to really believe in the law in order for you to uh to actually be a part of law enforcement. 
You just got to want to carry it out. That's what it seems like now. They don't even, the periods only come how far you can get up in the corporate world. And that's exactly what you see, whether it be in law enforcement, whether it be in city council, whether it be in Congress, or whether it be in United Nations. It's what, how far you can get up in the periods to do your dirt. And corporatism allows that because it has allowed so many different entities to be created and kind of regulate themselves within this system. And, you know, uh, the sheriff being over a particular district and he runs things a certain way and he allows, uh, he establishes a certain hierarchy in his certain area and uh, everybody in that, under that chain of command, they follow whatever the sheriff say do and whatever the sheriff allows them to do mm-hmm. until the sheriff decides that, hey, I don't want to take the fall. I'm going to let you do that, you know. But um, it's, it, it literally is there's so many different things mixed up in it, man. And, you know, the one, I, one thing I can honestly say is the difference that the, the major difference between just the average, you know, Joe like me and you and a person behind a badge is that they are a protected class of people who are government property who have been granted a status of law enforcement. You understand what I'm saying? So anything that they do behind the law is justified. They'll say reasonable force or um, uh, I hope I'm saying that the word the, the right way. Um, what is that word when they said uh, like if a cop does shoot somebody, they can well of course they can say they was in defense of their life, but it's something. I hope I said it right. I know it has something to do with force. But I want to say it's justified force or uh, justified evil um, or what they call, um, what is that thing called? No, that would be natural evil. Natural evil is basically what uh, a hurricane, uh, um, tornado, earthquake, because you can't take God to court. (laughs) Natural evil, is that in the law? I mean, is that in the law dictionary? Yeah, uh, natural evil is in the law dictionary. Natural natural evil is, uh, of course, a uh, concept. Um, it's the idea. It's no different than the act of God. Basically, it is an act of God. Natural evil is an act of God. Uh, uh, natural deformity, um, um, the, uh, like if you are deformed in the face, um, sometimes that can be done through chemicals, manipulation of chemicals. But like if Say, for instance, you know, your mom and daddy had a good diet and, you know, they were they were not chain smokers, not alcoholics, and you come out with your foot on your head. <laughs> Many would consider that to be an act of God because it's not anything that the parents may have necessarily did. The child just basically, his genes may have just, you know, had a little malfunction. And... It will also be considered an act of God because you can't penalize you can't penalize nature. We're just gonna dig up a tree and take them to court and say, Judge, I need you to <laughs> I need to I was injured by nature, so I need you to lock this 
<laughs> trio. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's, I mean, it does. It wouldn't make sense. I need to, you know, take this cloud to court because it rained on my parade. You know, I need to take the sun to court because it burnt. You know, it gave me a sunburn. Like, it's illogical, you know, and we wouldn't be able to do it. So that will be considered the natural evil as opposed to uh, the evils that we suffer amongst our, uh, you know, amongst uh, our people or amongst people in general. Uh, you have your necessary evils. You have your quote-unquote, um, yeah, that's, I think that's what it's called, necessary evil. Or is it? No, 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 no. I have to go into the concept a little bit more because I don't want to mix up necessary with natural evil um, because some things could be necessitated by the law where, uh, or no, that would be necessary because where the law uh, doesn't uh, where the law doesn't fulfill certain obligations to get certain things done, then something is necessitated, meaning that it could be done by you know an act of God or uh, it could be done through you know a hurricane or something like that. Something natural that had to be a natural cause. So that's the whole concept, but. I'm going to leave that alone because I'm still uh, trying to figure that out itself. But that will be totally different from a, a cop who's, you know, shooting you uh, who don't necessarily have the cause, but he can say that he feared for his life and or he can say, well, I use a reasonable force or something like that. And I think that's what I would, I think that is it, reasonable force. I used the amount of force to apprehend or detain this person because he was not being compliant. So that's basically that would come from. But but I understand what you're saying. You know, why is there a difference? But that's the way that society is, and that's the way society has always been, even when we were running government. Not everybody in – I'm sorry, go ahead, brother. One more question, brother. Um, has there ever been two governments running, ruling at the same time? Oh, what? yeah. I mean, when you, okay, consider the fact that um, you well, may have... What I want to get to is that you know how, okay, we're in the nation, and eventually right. the nation will grow and grow and grow, right? Mm-hmm. And... What does that say about the government that we're already in, like in the United States government? You know what I mean? Like how does that work? How does it work when we become big and, and we able to do on our own? And, and you know what I mean? We got enough people. Oh, I know what you're in our saying. Nation. You're you know talking what I mean? about kingdoms. Yeah, because you're talking about kingdoms. Yeah, you can have two kingdoms ruling at the same time. Um, but okay. in, our, in our specific case, we're in a kingdom and we're not a nation, so we're a part of a kingdom, so to speak. But I can also give you a modern-day uh, uh, interpretation of that. Uh, to a certain degree, you could say that Saudi Arabia is its own kingdom outside because I think most of the Arab, well, I, I think, no, 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 no. I would say... 
Because I think Saudi Arabia, to me, I think they're bought out. I think they're bought out in this uh, IRS system or or this uh, international monetary system. I think they're a part of the international monetary system, if I'm not, if I'm not believed. Uh, if I if if I'm not mistaken, so I think they are a part of this kingdom, this quote unquote Western kingdom. Um, who will be? Uh, I would say Syria, because they're not part of the international monetary system. They have their own they have their own set of laws and how they deal with currency and things like that. And they're not necessarily a client state, although they I think they do deal with the United Nations. But the United Nations or their relationship with the United Nations doesn't necessarily incline that they're under the uh they're under the um law of the United States cuz I can be my own government like they have separate states that are part of the United Nations that are not affiliated with the United States but a lot of the countries that are part of the United States and deal with the United States are what they call client states or countries that are debtors to the United States because they borrow money from the United States, which would then make them part of the the kingdom of the United States because they're debtors. But in our situation, uh, I think if it comes time for us as a people to rule again, and you'll have to keep this in mind, brother, because I used to say this all the time, it really is a game of monopoly. Like we're living in a game of monopoly, and it's, it, it seemed to only have gotten that way around the time of Solomon. Because around the time of Solomon, we were setting up this uh, international monetary system, but on a smaller scale. It wasn't like how it is today where you have like almost every inch of the uh, of the planet under one monetary system. However, in the eastern country and uh, what they like to call the Orient, we were uh, we did have relations or commercial relations with countries that were in uh, that were. Um, around the Mediterranean, you know, in the Far East, in Africa, and so on. That's where our trade and all that was regulated through. And we think we can, and we were a major threat. You have to remember this. We were also a major threat to a lot of countries because when you look at where Israel is or where they say Israel is, Israel sits slap dab in the middle of everything. It sits slap dab in the middle of everything uh, passing through. So in order to pass through Israel, you know how, like, you you have to be a very powerful nation to be slap dab in the middle of commerce, and all nations will have to go through you in order to exchange. Do you know how much power they had? Mm. One country sitting slap dab in the middle of Africa. They are the breach between Africa, Asia, and Europe. All that power going through one small country. 
I don't underestimate the Bible at all because <laughs> it revealed so many truths that are being uh, that is being played out today. And now that the this game of Monopoly is so grand now, when I mean grand, like it's on an it's on a quote unquote global scale. Do you know what would happen if we got back into our seat of power <laughs> with everything already being set up under one monopoly? I mean, I can't even explain to you what that would be like, but I mean, it's enough to talk about it, but it's, an, it's another thing to do it. But it's harder when you have to do it with a small group of people. You understand what I'm saying? Because it's so much work that really needs to be done. It's a lot of work that needs to be done. But the end game is I can't even imagine it because I can only look at it from like the perspective of how a government is already set up and when that government trades with other people and when it has so many different people that they control through just contracts, dude, like that blows my mind. And the fact that we had been already done that before, do you know what the – I will say it this way. I'm glad that we're in tribes because I, I also learned that that is where a lot of our, our ugly habits came from. Power can create a whole lot of ugly habits. And if we don't self-assess ourselves, it can be it can be very damaging. And I know we know this because we're in the situation because of it. But that's something that we don't really want to look at because we've been fed lies for so long and we don't know we don't know how we got over here. So we're struggling with that. But I've accepted it because history has already laid the groundwork for it. Law has already kind of laid the groundwork for it. And now you just kind of fall back into it. And when you understand it, brother, it's hard to say I'm looking back because looking forward, it is so much bigger than we think that it is. And it's going to be so much beneficial for us than we could even imagine. I'm not talking about, like, you get a piece, you get a piece, you get a piece. I'm talking about, like, we're all going to be, we're all going to be where we need to be. Let me say it that way. But to not to deviate away from your point, brother, yeah, it's, it's possible that you can have two, uh, two kingdoms ruling at the same time. So the only thing that seems to happen is that one country, you know, uh, becomes either too greedy or they become too slothful and they get caught up and you can lose, you can lose your, you can lose your spot and somebody can then become your creditor. Hence, that's the situation that we have going on today. You have a lot of people borrowing from the United States. The United States 
has the global bank, the world bank, and they have control of the world bank. Every country, mostly every country, borrows from these people. But the United States also owes a lot of people too, you know. But, um, man, I just, I'm passionate about this, about our heritage because, you know, a lot of people are caught up in how to pronounce Yeshua, Yahshua, you know, what God's name is. And I'm like, do y'all even know what y'all are arguing about? Like, have you even read the whole book? <laughs> I ain't even talking about it in Hebrew. Have you ever read the book in English, the whole book, fundamentally understanding what's going on? If you read the whole book in, in English and you literally understand what's going on, names are really not going to matter at that point. Not that to say that the names don't necessarily matter because they do, but I'm not going to sit here and argue with someone about how to spell David. <laughs> I'm not going to sit around and argue with someone on how to spell Jesus or Yeshua. I'm not. I literally don't care because now I'm at the point where I'm, my only focus is does the book work? Do the principles in the book work? Or are they nullified because people think that the characters were fake? Does that nullify the principles of the book? Because I don't care if you put Barney the dinosaur in there. <laughs> if he was practicing these laws and they work for people, many countries around the world, what do I have to lose by practicing these same laws? And it's crazy, brother, and not to be so long-winded. I hope I'm not being long-winded. I'm just passionate about it, but not to be, you know, so long-winded. However, what a lot of people don't realize is because everything is being played out uh, with science uh, proving itself to incline more and more to the laws of nature and showing how much we need to go back to the laws of nature, you will not believe how much of those laws in the Old Testament we really need to go back to. It is so crystal clear as to how many of those laws, and it really almost kind of comes back to we need to go back to all of those laws because, <laughs> bro, like I see some things, I'm kind of like, wow, we would never be going through that if we actually practiced this law or we practiced that law. But they got so many ways to do evil through the law, that is, that it's easy for you to say, well, I don't have to do that because this law here says this. But what you'll, what you'll realize is that because the, the, the nature of man is so degenerative and it's gotten so far from beyond nature, it's gotten so beyond the concepts of law itself that literally to bring us back to heal is to put us back under thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, man shall not sleep with man, woman shall not sleep with woman. Like that's literally where we are because you can see, clearly see the damage that it has done to us as a people if you haven't. And I'm not saying that you in particular have, but if you have it. Then you'd have to ask yourself, where are you in reality? 
because <laughs> I can see so many different things. There are things that I have done that I'm looking at it now, and I'm just like, dang, I would have never done that if the law was enforced. There was no way. There was no way I would have been able to done if this law was enforced. I probably done put to death, stealing, killing. Not I killed anybody, but I'm sure that I have done. I've lied and things like that. And here and there, people have done it. But I'm saying, like, bro, there are so many things in that book. It's 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 living, breathing. And it just really just kind of shows us how far off we've gotten from um, with knowing God and knowing ourselves in relation to what we call God. Because if technology is close, we're going to get to God, then, oh, my God, we are doomed. (laughs) (laughs) Technology has screwed us all up. It really has screwed up. I mean, I can't even, I mean, I think there's, like, there are things that we need. There are things that we need versus what they call white people technology. That's what I'm going to say because white people think that they invented technology when all you did was put electricity in a box. Um, But there are things that we need in terms of what they call white people technology. But there are just certain things that we really don't need. Like I don't, you know, I don't think that we need glasses that can help you to cheat on your spouse. By giving you a 3D version of someone that's not real, like you don't need that. If that's the case, why not get why not get better acquainted with your spouse? <laughs> you did all you're going through all that trouble just to keep avoiding to avoid having to deal with somebody that you married. What is the point? Or you're going to deal with a site. Uh, what's Ashley Madison? Some site I uh, keep seeing popping up on the uh, YouTube or uh, on Google or something like that. It's supposed to help. It's a site that's supposed to help you cheat on your on your spouse secretly or something like that. Like, <laughs> what is the purpose of that? When all if I when I got the person that I'm married to that I could just figure out how to deal with them. And I can make it work. It's point like some of the technology that we have is pointless. But it really just goes to show you how far we'll go to prove that we are that we don't believe in God, we don't respect God, but further right. prove we how much do we don't respect we ourselves. Exactly. And it's it's amazing. I I mean I don't want to sound like I'm preaching to the choir, but it's yeah, man. Like once you get, and I always say this to you know people who are in the like uh, who are in the, uh, who are underclassmen, which makes you no different than me because I'm still learning material too, brother. But I you know I know that a lot of people come in very ambitious, you know, to learn. But I will say this, once you, 
if you're ambition about if you're ambitious about learning, brother, and you really want to learn the the nature of what is going on with our people and how to fix it, you'll you'll learn it and you'll be able to apply it. Give yourself time to figure the things out instead of, you know, hearing one thing and then if it doesn't sound, you know, you know, like the ideas are clicking, then if this person make it sound more better, then that's what, you know, you run off to. I literally had to catch myself, you know, of not, you know, clinging to that type of mentality of hearing something that just doesn't sound too right or if someone says it better, then I'm more comfortable with it. And it's not even so much as whether a person said it right or wrong. Does Does it work? How does it work? If I can pull it apart and then it doesn't come back together again based off of how it's structured, then I don't want to deal with that. Now, if I can have somebody literally pick apart a negotiable instrument and tell me how to work it, and there's a law that tells you the exact same thing that the person is telling me, how can you go wrong? It's no different. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but, I mean, I've been in trials for a long while, and I can honestly say, as of all these years, and even still now, I'm still telling free brother, I can't believe how how right you were. <laughs> and I have been in the nation like how many years and I can and I still do it. I'm just like, wow, after all this research, I concluded that you were right. Even before like I really started figuring this out when I would go, you know, to the political classes. I would come back and tell priests, like, dang, how right you were about this? Because they were talking about this in my classes. Like, they were literally talking about this stuff, but I don't want to, you know, preach to the choir, brother. Um, dang, time flies. Uh, if if there's anybody on here that has anything else that they want to talk about, any comments or questions, um, the topic doesn't have to be centered around, you know, politics or anything like that. It can just be about anything. Uh, just state your name phone on the record. If no one has anything else, um, we can adjourn, but I just want to give everybody time to seat their mind. Okay. Well, brothers, uh, Deshane, we can adjourn for the rest of this evening. I think you were like the only person besides me on the line, and you know I know you just got off of work, so, and and I know there, you know I didn't really have any topics or whatever, but I did bring that up, uh, what we discussed tonight. And I thank you for you know coming to fellowship, or whatever. Fellowship is basically you know an outlet for us is you know, organizations so that, you know, if we there are topics that we feel like we can't discuss, you know, to our, you know, brothers and sisters that are always around us, we can always feel comfortable discussing them here without us being, you know, shot down because people don't agree, you know, with certain ideals. But um 
that's basically what this is about. And, you know, I always make sure I state that we're talking because there are going to be future listeners. You know, your grandson or your great-grandson are going to hear this, and they're going to hear thoughts of the shame, my granddaddy or my my great-great-granddaddy, you know. So that's why we have these uh, fellowships and uh, things like that. But we can adjourn for the rest of this evening, brother. Thank you for coming out. It's 35 minutes after 8. We can adjourn. Remember, this is our third week. Excuse me. I'm sorry, brother. What did you say? Excuse me. Do we have class uh, Monday? No, that won't be until after next week, brother, because remember, we canceled week eight class, week eight classes, so that gave us an extra week. We're now, what what would have been our third week, which is next week, is actually our fourth week. Or what would have, what would have been our fourth week is actually our third week. But because we basically had an extra week, it is, you know, it's our extended vacation, so to speak. But we come back on the 25th, if I'm not mistaken. When I looked at the calendar, it said the 25th. Because after next week, you know, it'll be the end of our uh, break. We would have had to come back on the 25th anyway. So, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. uh, So, no problem, brother. All right. Well, to our future listeners, we will be signing off now. Thank you, Brother Shane, again, and Shalom, Shalom. Gee, I need mean, yeah. another thing.
step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.